National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach, and I am joined by friend and colleague, Chris Vanini, also works at The Athletic. Chris, hello. Nicole, hello. How's it going? It's uh, last full week in May, before college football really gets crazy in June, so I hope uh, hope you're enjoying a relatively calm period of time here. Yeah, we are here in like the last week of vacation mode for any of these coaches. They have been traveling all over the world. We saw a photo of Mike Leach somewhere. I think he was in Dubai. I think that was. <laughs> somewhere in Dubai. Uh, but yeah, no, this is, the, the calendar is a little bit different this year because recruiting begins again on July, on June 1. So yeah, we are about to return to normalcy and, you know, Power Hour is back to normal too. We're doing and hitting the biggest stories in college sports in an hour or less like we do every Tuesday. And if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show five stars, because much like your favorite recruits and Ari Wasserman's favorite recruits, we would like to make an immediate impact. And we're going to talk about immediate impact guys today, Chris, because we're kind of at the point in the calendar now, there is a hard deadline on July 1 about transfers who want to play right away this fall. But in normal times, like we'll know by now, and this year we, we do know a lot. A lot of guys have already made their decisions. They've entered the portal. They've exited the portal. And we kind of have a better sense of what these teams are going to look like in the fall. And we're going to talk some winners. We don't really need to talk some losers. I feel like I feel like we know which, which programs lost a lot of guys to the portal, <laughs> don't we? Uh, Tennessee, I think so. Uh, sorry, Tennessee. Yes. Did we ever get, did we ever get a final head count on how many... In the exodus at Tennessee? I feel like it was over 30? Well, if you include, like, incoming recruits and all kinds of stuff in, in decommits or, or whatever, I, it's probably about that. But in, in terms of players off the actual roster, it's it's definitely in the double digits. Yes. And we were looking over these lists of, like, you know, landing spots and, and where guys went, Oklahoma, Alabama. It's like some of these places got multiple Tennessee guys because – so many of them went into the portal. Um, so, Chris, when you look at the portal and how teams are using it, do you judge how many guys someone takes? Do you think that it is, like, it, we're going to talk about winners. We're going to talk about people who've collected a fair amount of people. Is that good? I think it depends who you are. I mean, if you're a team that lost a lot of NFL talent, then you probably need more guys. If you're a team that's returning... 17, 18 starters, you probably don't need as many transfers. I mean, I was talking to Ball State head coach Mike New the other day. They're returning 20 starters, but they even they grabbed two or three or four transfer guys who could uh, start for or play at least play a lot for them this year. So it generally depends, but if you're adding more, it's probably because you lost more. I think that's kind of what I've taken away from looking at all the numbers. Okay, so when you think about who won the off-season transfer game or whatever we're going to start referring. It's got, it's kind of its own recruiting. Free agency period, do you want to call it that now? We can call it free agency, sure. Okay, so so give me give me a winner. I think there's a few winners. I'm going to start with Florida State. 
Uh, Mike Norvell's team has gone deep into the portal to add a lot of guys. They added, obviously, Mackenzie Milton, quarterback formerly of UCF. We don't even know if he's going to actually start or play, but clearly they think he can. Otherwise, they wouldn't have you know, went and got him. I think DJ Williams, running back from Auburn that they added, they, they recently got Andrew Parchman, a, a talented receiver out of Kansas. Uh, they've added some some offensive linemen as well. So I think Florida State has really reshaped its roster, and it really needed to because the, the roster that Mike Norvell took over uh, was really in bad shape, and they've really gone out of their way to improve that roster right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, too, about Mackenzie Milton. I think he's someone that a lot of college football fans know. And really, when we all saw the horrific injury, we, we never knew if we were going to get to see him again. And I feel like we've heard great things. It's been, obviously, he's re- he's recovering. He was at the forefront of the NIL fight in Florida for those, like, weird 24 hours where everything flipped. Um. So, yeah, no, I, I am with you. I think Florida State is is a natural winner. Actually, there, actually sorry, um, there's one other Florida State I forgot to mention. They actually haven't gotten him yet, but Kane Madden, an All-American offensive lineman from Marshall, is in the portal now, and Florida State fans and players are going through a full-out approach to get him in. They had Kane, they had Madden to tally trending on Twitter the other day. All the coaches are retweeting it. So they're trying to add an offensive, an all-American offensive lineman to the group that they already have put together. So that would be an even bigger coup for Florida State if they could grab him. I respect the full-court press for offensive linemen. They deserve it. They should have this happen more often than they do. Um, okay, so so my number one winner is a program that Never has good things happen to them. It's Alabama. Oh, oh. Listen, we are in the phase now where Alabama is recruiting off other people's rosters to the point where they're getting really good players, including, let's say, a receiver at Ohio State <laughs> who's played in every game at Ohio State <laughs> and maybe isn't starting. And that's that's the type of player Alabama is plucking out of the transfer portal. Um, so that's Jamison Williams. He played in every game for Ohio State the last two years. Henry To'o, uh, uh, To'o? How do I, how do I say I, it? I think it's, I I think it's To'o. To'o, To'o. Um, you know, one of Tennessee's best players, arguably best player. They're able to get him out of the portal. Again, everyone at Tennessee left. But to go to another team in the SEC, to go to Alabama, it's just it's it's unfair the way that they are able to upgrade and the way that they are able to pluck great players out of the portal when we know they already have lots of great players and they already have lots of four and five star guys. The rich just continue to get richer. And I think that this is something that we are going to track the rest of the way here as we have this immediate eligibility now. Everyone's concerned that there will be a lot of the rich getting richer, that Alabama will get the best players from other people's teams because they can go to Alabama and play or get a national championship ring, whatever it is. I think that is going to be a thing. I think that is absolutely going to happen. I do think you're going to see transfers in both directions, up and down, based on playing time. But I do think we're going to have to get used to Alabama pretty much always winning the free agency period. Yeah, Nick Saban warned you that this was going to happen. He, when one-time transfer was coming up, he knew that a lot of good, really good players were going to want to come to Alabama, and he warned you that this was coming. So now you have to deal with it. And, yeah, it, it, I, I think it makes Alabama 
a, a, a team that it's even less likely they will have a down year now. Because previously, if, if there were a couple holes on the roster or something like that, you, you had to develop guys into that spot. Now they know they can go get a, a, a guy from anywhere else in the country to do that. So I do think in many ways it will make some of the rich richer, but this is a two-way street. And one of my other winners of the transfer portal is UCF. Gus Malzahn has come in. They've added, I think, eight transfers from the from the Power Five. I mean, they, they added uh, Jordan Johnson, a, a, high, a top 50 high school receiver, who had been at Notre Dame for a year. They added uh, Brandon Johnson from Tennessee, Nate Craig Mars from Colorado State. Uh, they've added, um, uh, what else they got, uh, a defensive back from Auburn. They have added a, a, a athlete from Virginia, R.J. Harvey. So there are, there are a lot of Power 5 players coming into a place like UCF. So that's a team that lost a lot from last year's roster. So they went in the Gus Malzahn went into the portal, knew he'd had to have to get some guys who he knew could play, and he did. And again, he got a, I think a couple of guys from Auburn, yeah, two where he used to coach, obviously. So uh, UCF, you know, it's made the rich richer with Alabama, but the transfer portal has also helped a team like UCF. Yeah, I, I wonder about that. I mean, this is something that's going to continue to happen too. That was a late coaching change. That's kind of all you're able to do, especially if they don't adjust the the roster caps and you can get 25 guys in. You're pretty limited, especially if you're making a change after the December signing period. Guys are going to have to go to the portal, and I think you're seeing it too. If, if people have extra spots, if someone goes pro before they were expecting to or something like that. So um, I, I think that that is going to be a thing that happens that we – kind of understand like philosophically that yes there will be players even at the Alabamas of the world that aren't playing that want to play and they will go power five to group of five or they'll go lateral but we are going to see that happen more and more and I think you've written about this Chris but like SMU is a really good example of that too in the past where it's like okay you can bring guys back who went somewhere else to these metropolitan areas areas where people are maybe from and i feel like ucf does that too yes i looked at this a couple years ago when i wrote a story on smu and you look at the the schools that were bringing in the most transfers this is before the one-time transfer it was smu houston ucf fiu i think were the top four and those are all football-heavy states in schools that are in Miami, Orlando, Houston, and Dallas, where there are a lot of kids. So you have a lot of kids want to come home in that sense. So if you're a G5 team looking to add guys, a lot of times there's players who want to come home because they want to be close to family or or uh, someone in the family member is sick or something like that and they come back. So th- there is an advantage here for a group of five teams. The ones that are in best positioned to, to take advantage of it are going to be the ones who... Uh, are in those metropolitan areas and have had, have had a lot of hometown players. Yeah, plus if they go to SMU, you get to cover them. I'm sure that that's part of the recruiting pitch. Yes. Uh, we, we have two athletic college football national writers in Dallas now because Ari Wasserman that's recently true. moved here. So uh, everybody's yes. coming to Dallas. It is booming here. Yes, Ari is, um, as, as podcast listeners understand, Ari's all the life changes are happening in Dallas yes. for him. So well, speaking speaking of SMU is, too, they have a camp coming up June fifth and sixth. 
and there are going to be like literally 50 schools there, college colleges coming to see these recruits. I think this camp is originally going to have two sessions. Now it has like four or six. It wow. is going to be an absolutely it's it's the first big mega camp of the recruiting cycle. So talking about there's a lot of football players coming out of Dallas. Uh, you can see that in the first uh, big camp that's going to happen in June. Okay, we're going to hit a couple more transfer portal winners, um, free agency winners. I'm going to stick with the Tennessee exodus, not to completely harp <laughs> on this for any Tennessee fans who might be listening. Um, but there is a clear pipeline going to Norman, Oklahoma. Yes. And I think that, you know, we're, this is another program where we talk about the rich getting richer and how if you're an offensive guy, really at any position, because even I'm sure it's more fun to be an offensive lineman in Lincoln Riley's system than it is in other places as well. But he's always going to get playmakers, regular recruits. You know, you're going to get top high school guys. You're going to be of interest to quarterbacks and running backs and receivers because you know what you're going to get to do. Well, he's also cleaning up in the portal as well. So you've got Eric Gray, um, you know, who could be the starting running back. You've got Wanya Morris, offensive line, safety Key Lawrence. These are all like top 25 available transfer guys. Um, And and they all went together. And so what is Knoxville's loss is is Norman's gain. And, you know, I think you're already going to see, you know, Eric Gray and these guys play right away, be yeah. big impact guys in, in the offense. And, like, I don't know. I mean, if I had the opportunity to play in Lincoln Riley's offense, I would want to, too. So I get it. But this is the rich getting richer element of all of this, too. Yeah, I mean, Eric Gray, a real all-purpose kind of back. He's going to be very fun to watch in that Oklahoma offense. And, yeah, it's another example, like I said, of Alabama, where if, for whatever reason, Oklahoma is short on an offensive skill position – uh, they can grab somebody from somewhere. Um, so th- they should be perfectly fine for a while. And I- I'm going to go with, here's another winner, a, 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 a blue blood that hasn't really been a power for at least a decade now, and that's USC. Clay Helton has actually done a really good job of improving that roster. Uh, going into the season, they added Keontae Ingram, running back from Texas, they added Taj Washington, a good receiver, out of Memphis. They also added Malcolm Epps from Texas, a tight end. So there is a lot in, in, in a wide receiver, Katie Nixon from uh, Colorado. So there is a lot of, a lot more playmaking ability, I think, on this USC team. And, you know, we forget that, you know, USC did win the the Pac-12 South Division last year in a, I don't even remember how many games USC played. It was three or four or five, and they lost to Oregon, who didn't even win the Pac-12 North because the Pac-12 can never do anything right. But this is a big year for Clay Helton. They need to show that, that he's making real progress. He's, he's reached Pac-12 championship games. He's, he's won. He's, he's reached uh, Rose Bowls before, but it hasn't been USC. It's not the USC we're used to seeing. And so this is a big year in what he, you know, he's been on the perennial hot seat for what it seems like five years now. But this is a big, big year for Clay Helton at USC. He has to have a big season with the Trojans, and I think they know that. And the guys that they went and got in the portal are the kind of guys who are going to really uh, try to make sure that happens. Shouldn't USC be doing that every year, though? You mean adding transfers? Yeah, or I mean, essentially, like, we're kind of talking about this year's winners, but these are some of these programs are programs that are going to be in this list or should be in this list every single year. USC should be one. Yeah, well, I mean, USC should not be losing a lot of these 
guys from California to other schools anyway. But it's another example of perhaps you've got guys from California who want to come back. But, you know, USC's roster, they haven't been recruiting the way, you know, they used to for a long time. This is not a... It's not a roster. It's not a top five talent roster. So any any way you're looking to grab talent, I think you can't. You, you have to do it. And should USC be better than it is? Yeah, of course. It, of course it should be. But it's kind of the reality of, of where they are right now, and they got to do better. Yep. Um, I think you know you saw that you see that a little with UCLA. They did pretty well in the portal too. I'm always intrigued by the coaches who who don't really rely on the portal or only take guys that they think are going to be starters. Um, it's always an interesting process when we do our state of the programs because you do have coaches who say, "I'm not a big portal guy," and then they take, you know. Yeah, they're they're not big they're like, not oh. big portal guys until suddenly they need a new running back and then. Yes. Then they become they become big portal but, guys. But remember, um, they'll only sign the guys who are the right fit. They don't want to sign someone who's just trying to get away from a place until they do, which is usually what happens. So we'll hear, you'll you'll hear yeah, a lot of that. Same same with same with coaches, right? Like they don't. You know, they're never looking for their next job until they <laughs> until it's the perfect yes. opportunity and they're right. They're, they're always they're um, always looking for their next job. <laughs> just FYI. And that's OK. That's yes. how this works. And now players will be doing the same thing. Yes. Um, and we will continue to track on that. There's going to be lots of potential intended and unintended side effects. Um, we will have you covered over on The Athletic. Chris, I wanted to get your thought on the other, you know, kind of as we transition into like the dead of the off season. Into ramping this back up. I mean, you mentioned the big mega camps and camps in general visits starting June 1. We also have had a lot of announcements in the last week about stadiums expecting to be full capacity. There were a bunch. I feel like my inbox all of last week was like all of these great email announcements and positivity and people being like, we're back. You're back. You can come back. Buy tickets. Like, come to games. Um, and so, A, I want to hear, like, your personal favorite stadium experiences, but also I want to think about, like, who actually benefits from that home field advantage. Because I think that it was one of the more noticeable sports when you didn't have fans. Like, there were some games, obviously, that had, you know, 25% or whatever capacity. Dan Mullen famously complained that A&M <laughs> had an advantage because they had so many people in their games. Um, but I, I do think it was missing something. I feel like, you know, you could tell a little bit watching. And I remember talking to some of our friends in, um, on the broadcast side who, who, who called some games and said it, it wasn't necessarily like you felt it as the visiting team that, you know, oh, you know, it's easier to play. But they said it was harder for the home team to, like, juice itself up, which I absolutely buy. And we weren't at games in the fall. We weren't at regular season games or, or bowl games. So like it just, it just felt very different. So I love that this return of normalcy and crowds and fans are coming back. Cause I do think some of these places and some of these players really like they, they play off of it. Yeah. And, and everybody's taking the opportunities they can to make sure they get in the, the, the excitement, the good press that, Hey, we're going to have full stadiums this fall by the way here's the link to the tickets page if you want to buy tickets because we need that ticket money too so smart yeah so uh you know i i covered two games in the fall i covered the smu cincinnati game at smu very tiny to no crowd they actually i think kicked out the student section in that game and because they weren't distancing and then i covered the rose bowl of texas uh at the cowboy stadium but that's that's a tough environment because it's a glass press box. There's not really a lot of natural noise in there. You really feel sealed off from the game. So I didn't really have a real good game experience until 
the FCS National Championship game a couple weeks ago here in Dallas. And the South Dakota State fans were rowdy. And when they broke off an 85-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter to take the lead, that stadium it was only 50% full. And only half of those were South Dakota State fans. But those fans went nuts. And I could feel it in my bones. And it had been a long time since I had that feeling. And so as I see these announcements that stadiums are going to be full, I am really excited. What stadiums am I most excited to see full? Well, I'm not going to say Kyle Field because we kind of saw that in the fall. If, if Dan Mullen is, okay, Dan if Dan Mullen. Mullen is okay, being Mr. honest, Mullen. they had a lot of fans. They had a lot of fans there uh, during the season. But I want to see. I mean, I want to see a Penn State. I mean, that their their student section is always incredibly fun. The whiteouts and everything they do there. That the whiteout game, whatever one they do, is always one of those like must see games of the season. So one of the most one of the ones I'm most excited about is going to be Penn State. This fall. I don't even know who they have on the schedule. I haven't even looked yet. But whether it's Auburn. whether it's oh, oh yeah, they do have Auburn. That's going to be fun. Hey, re- hey, remember non-conference games? I, that's the thing. My mind didn't even go there. I totally forgot what they were like. That's going to be fun. Auburn at Penn State uh, early on. Maybe that's a white dog game. I don't know. But that that environment is going to be super fun. I cannot wait for that. Um, I I think it's definitely going to be fun to see the Big Ten stadiums and then the Pac-12, right? Because they they had those blanket rules. Yes. So. Like the Rose Bowl, the real Rose Bowl, not the one you saw. The Rose Bowl was empty, and I feel like that will be fun to see crowds back there. That is still a bucket list item for me. I still have never covered a game or been to a game at the actual Rose Bowl. So, yeah, I know. I feel like we shouldn't even be college football writers (laughs) and admit this on a podcast. But um, I'm, I'm with you. Penn State is right up there in terms of the best atmospheres and games I have been to. I always put... LSU and Penn State kind of like on that top tier by themselves. Um, I, I think, you know, like we and we saw there was some of the stuff, you know, Red River. There was some there were some fans at, you know, Texas and A&M and different things throughout the year. I feel like Florida State, it kind of felt like they had fans pretty much throughout. But the reason I'm mostly excited for, for all of this is because how else am I supposed to find viral fans if we don't have fans at the games? Like yes. the reason that they stand out is and the camera pans to them is because they exist. And really the only one that existed last year was the uh, Texas fan who gave the middle finger to the camera. Um, oh, that's right. At, at the, uh, the Cotton Bowl game, right? At the, at the Cotton, Cotton Bowl, Bowl yeah. It, it, but then, you know, you know, the problem with that one is I found her and finally got in contact with her. But it was already the end of the season, and I don't know. It just Tom Herman was already gone. I, I don't know if, like, you know, she was probably feeling better about everything by that point. So I, you know, Maybe. I didn't end up talking to her. Um, you know, one one fan base. I, I always like that year after kind of a breakthrough moment. Yes. And like, I'm curious, are Indiana fans going to go to football games? Yes, now? they should. Yes, they they should. They had their best season in in. 20, 30 years last year. They should be really good again this year. Build yeah, that, that stadium. But that's a place, but th- that's a place that like the culture is to tailgate and not necessarily go to games. Mm-hmm. My cousin went there. I remember covering a Michigan Indiana game and they had no intention of going in. Yeah. And I know they're trying to change that, but like, go but, in. But how good, go how good were year. they then? What year was that? Like 08, 09? They were not very, yeah, they were not very they were good. Not very good. Now, now, yeah. now they're coming but, off of, they had a case to be the second best team in the big 10. Now you got to fill that stadium. All, along those same lines, I mean, this fan base does not have trouble filling the stadium, but Iowa State, they just had their best season perhaps ever, and they bring back everybody. They will be probably not the favorite to win the Big 12, but they will be number two if they're not number one. 
And this is setting up to be a huge year for Iowa State. You've got some people putting them in the playoff playoff uh, predictions. So I can't wait to see Jack Trice Stadium with that crowd cheering on what's going to be a very, very good team. Take Again, that breakthrough season, taking it now to another level, it's going to be fun to watch some games I think at Iowa State this year. Yeah, I agree. And I think, too, with some of those um, types of seasons, you do wonder in, in terms of, okay, there was already kind of an attendance decline slash concern pre-pandemic. How many of these places are going to sell out? I, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of schools, I, especially SEC, ACC, just like culturally we talk about like regional. But I think the Big Ten, too, because they, they were all banned all year, yeah. is like I think a lot of people are going to want to go back. I don't know if they want to like be packed like sardines, but I would 100% want to sit outside and watch my favorite team play a game in person after being so cooped up and only watching things on TV for a year. I'm super curious to see what attendance numbers look like. Yeah, and I'm curious what they are out in the Pac-12, where where football is just not as big of a deal. So now that everybody went a year without going to games, are they itching to get back to games? Or are they saying, eh, you know, I enjoyed my weekends where I wasn't paying attention to football or going to football games. Maybe they don't. So you're right. I'm curious, conference to conference, how that is going to look. And you talk about unique setups. Another team I'm very curious to see, perhaps more than any other this fall, is the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, who will not be playing in Aloha Stadium this year because it was deemed unsafe and essentially condemned. So, hold on. So they're saying Aloha. They're saying Aloha to Aloha Stadium. Stadium. And Aloha to, I think it's called Ching Stadium. It's, it's, It's really their track and field and maybe soccer uh, set as well on campus, they are going to retrofit it with additional seating to seat about 9,000 fans. That's it. So, Wait, that's kind of awesome. We should go. I mean, we should. We should, do- it doesn't matter what the reason is. We should go, yes. But but especially because of this. Yeah, no, I think it's a great – I think I, personally, I think it's a no-brainer for the Athletics to send mm-hmm. two reporters out to Hawaii to cover yes. a game there. So I think we should put in that uh, – travel requests i think i think we should probably stay for a week just to yeah. be safe like we don't want to misrepresent exactly yeah. we don't want to yeah. misrepresent the excitement around you know the, the tailgating yeah. scene or something yeah. like that yeah so they, they retrofit this track field with about nine thousand seats so it's going to be a tiny crowd smaller than you're actually allowed by rules but i'm sure they got a waiver already or they will but that's actually an opportunity to have a packed stadium Kind of like a high school feel out in Hawaii. And if you're ever staying up 1 a.m., 2 a.m. to watch those games, it's going to be a different experience this year. What was the best stadium you've ever been to or best crowd? I think I'm going to go I'm going to go with best – I mean, best stadium I've been to for a game is Camp Randall. Michigan Stadium. It's Camp Randall. <laughs> Because getting to experience jump around is really fun. So I was watching the New York Knicks-Atlanta Hawks game yesterday, and the Knicks go on this run, and they take the lead. And the crowd in the, the Madison Square Garden, they start playing jump around, and my first reaction is, oh, man, I can't wait to see the crowd do jump around. And they didn't. They just kind of dance because it's a pro thing. It's basketball, whatever. And I thought, man, I miss jump around. I miss Wisconsin's jump around. I covered a game there in 2009 when Michigan State played there. And if you've never been there – the stadium and the press box really do shake. Like it, it shakes and sways when they're when all the students are doing that jump around at the end of the third quarter. 
So that's a really fun venue, a really fun town. Also, they're not like in my top five, but UCF games, when that team is rolling, are really fun. It's kind of the same deal because their stadium's kind of almost like an erector set type deal. It's 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 not all that sturdy. So when everyone's jumping around, again, the press box is shaking and everything, and you feel a little unsafe, but it's actually really like uh, really thrilling as well. How about you? Well, I'm with you on stadiums that feel like they're kind of falling apart or, or aren't very sturdy because – Yes, to jump around. The first time that anyone experiences that, you feel like the building might yes. fall apart. Yes. Like, I remember I saw, I was covering a game for the first time when I was there. I've never been as a fan. And my cup of coffee spilled. <laughs> like, it was, it, was, it, was on the, it was on the counter, and it was shaking so much that it spilled. Penn State does that too or at least it did before i know they've done some little renovations of beaver stadium plus you get to have the creamery and the ice cream is phenomenal when you go to penn state what, what, what's, um, more, said, what's uh, more american than crumbling infrastructure in buildings that feel like they're gonna fall apart anyway exactly because people are so into it i think like i said a penn state whiteout game and lsu night game to me are really similar i've not i've not covered or been to an old miss game here that's amazing um again have not done the literal rose bowl which i want to do for an actual rose bowl game not just a random home game um so i'm trying to think um i mean like stanford it is beautiful it is very beautiful the weather is great i will say an army home yes. game well is right up yeah there. they did have you know officers and people in the crowded army because it's a because it's a federal, because I think it's on state grounds, but Navy couldn't have fans because they're on federal grounds, I think is how it went. So I want to see Navy, Navy, Army, Air Force. I want to see the, 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 the cadets and everybody in those stadiums as well. That's a really good, really good call. It is so beautiful. It's like I've covered, you know, a September game at Army and you're overlooking the Hudson. It is perfect. It is a bucket list item. Everyone should put on their list. But in terms of, like, you know, full stadiums actually impacting a game, you know, not the same as other places, but phenomenal. And I think that this is one of the things I'm most excited about the return of normalcy. We're talking about, like, non-conference games we're, like, remembering exist and are going to happen. And we're going to argue about, you know, one result. Like, we're going to argue about the winner of Penn State-Auburn as referendums on their entire conferences. Can't wait to do that. But also... Again, like the viral fan moments, like seeing people enjoy this sport, like that's been one of the things about sports. We've seen a lot of things that, you know, got rushed back and it's great because everyone has TV deals and needs TV inventory. But the actual in-person experience, that's why we all like sports. That's why we all got into this is because we lived it. We experienced it. So I am super excited to see people do that again and to walk to a game and be around like a sea of tailgaters and smell their food and smell the beer that's been spilled everywhere. Like I am excited about that part of the return to normal. Yes. And, and we're starting to see it more and more in other sports. I mean, there was the Knicks game yesterday, which I think was the largest indoor crowd since the pandemic. Um, and actually something they did was they had a vaccinated section and a non-vaccinated section apparently and the vaccinated section was crammed in everybody's together vaccinated everybody's kind of spread out and there were fewer of them 
looked like a lot of fun in the vaccinated section. So, folks, if you want to be in your vaccinated sections at your stadium with a lot of, a lot more fans, uh, would recommend you go get that done. But, we're, yeah, we're, we're seeing it a bit more in the NBA. And as these NBA playoffs go on, you're going to get bigger and bigger crowds, I think, in these stadiums, uh, arenas. So that's kind of a fun incentive for them to keep winning. So we're getting pieces and pieces of it. And once we get to, once we get to college football and we have the real big crowds, man, I am excited for that. I am as well. And on that note, let's get to our last calls because we were talking about things we were really excited about. And that is one of the directions a last call can take. Now, this is the part of the show where we cheers to something that we would be at a bar. Now we can go back to bars in a lot of places. And it's the end of the night. You're really giddy. You're happy about something and you want to cheers it before we go. Or you're upset about something. And the more you drink, the more angry you get and you need to rant about it. Chris, do you have a last call ready to go? Yes. Uh, raise a glass. Last call to Kevin Kelly, now the head coach at Presbyterian College in South Carolina. He is the former Arkansas uh, high school coach at Pulaski Academy. He is the coach who almost who never punts and always onside kicks on kickoffs. And I, I believe he almost always goes for two as well. This was he, He's been such a fun guy to watch for a very long time in high school because he was doing something you kind of only do on a video game and it was working he won many state championships there and was had one of the best uh, high school programs in arkansas in that division and now he goes to presbyterian he finally gets a shot at a college team and he says he's gonna do pretty much everything the, the way he did it before you know we our, our colleague josh kendall wrote a really good story on him last week and he basically says you know it got me this far why change it now so this is going to be a really interesting experiment to see this at the college level, a team that basically plays by the numbers and says if you always onside kick, your odds are are better, and he's he's not going to punt it unless it's. I mean, if you're facing fourth and thirty, you know he's punting, but in most situations he's going to go for it. So Presbyterian College could be a very fun team to watch, and I think a lot of coaches will be watching to see how this works because a lot of this stuff trickles up. In sports, in, in, in football especially, it used to be trickled down. The NFL did something that made its way down to high schools. It's reversed now. It goes from high schools up. So there, there's a real chance here that Kevin Kelly could change some things in college football if this works at Presbyterian. So shout out to Kevin Kelly for continuing his plans at the college level to, to play, uh, to coach football like we coach it in video games. Yes, and I think that if you're looking for an FCS team to adopt – this is a team. This is an option. It's it's always cool when people go outside of the box on any hire. This is a guy that our friend Andy Staples very much likes and wrote that Kansas should have looked yes. at him. So I, I do think if it works, people will copy it. We've seen that in general with a lot of fourth down conversions and attempts, right? Like we've seen Army do that a lot. You've seen other coaches kind of like look at the math a little bit differently. Very here for this. Now, I've also got a very positive last call today. And Chris, thank you for not taking this one because I know you were really tempted to. Everyone's getting on the Rutgers bandwagon. Yep. Literally everyone. We, the reason that Rutgers brought back Greg Schiano was to recruit in-state. That was one of the things that Chris Ash struggled with. And really everyone. I mean, New, New Jersey is a really fertile recruiting ground. And now that Rutgers is in the Big Ten, it's even easier for Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State to just go in there and get really top talented guys. 
Offensive lineman Jacob Allen commits to Scarlet Knights. He is the top recruit in the state of New Jersey for the 2022 class. And this is a big deal because this is exactly what Rutgers was hoping was going to happen with Greg Schiano. They're not just in the mix with the top guys in the state. They got a commitment, and they're trying to keep them. They're trying to keep them within the state. I remember when when Greg got hired back, talking to um, recruiting experts and then other you know coaches in the in in high school in New, in New Jersey. It's different when it's one of your own, right? And and like you remember, they had there there were different elements of you know public support when it was rumored that like the deal was falling apart. Yeah, with Greg Schiano and Rutgers, yeah. like they came out and said that they wanted Greg Schiano to be the next coach at Rutgers, and they're backing that up by sending guys and and talking up Rutgers and keeping them at home. And so, really interested to see how this is going to play out. Obviously, there was the pandemic. Um, and, and you're not able to, to see these kids in person, get them to your own camps. That's all opening up again. And the 2022 class is the first class where you're really going to see that with Shiano because obviously, you know, he's, he kept some guys and there's been transfers that have bounced back and, and come back to New Jersey. But this is the first class that, like, you're really seeing that impact. So shout out to the State University of New Jersey. It's a big time for New Jersey because not only is Rutgers cleaning up in the recruiting trail, we are less than two weeks away from the return of Jersey Shore family vacation. Well, and apparently filmed in the Poconos. That's so right. It's a very Jersey, like, you know, we, we went to the Poconos in the winter. It is a, it is a thing. But, yeah, this, is, this could be a tough look for, for Pennsylvania, potentially Penn State. This yep. could be the state of New Jersey is rising. Yeah. The great, the great state in the union. But, hey, the football team is back. This is the program that is – Practically in the middle of Times Square yep. in New York City. I see it on the That's I see it on get. the Big Ten games. Whenever there's a game there, they show the campus, and I see oh, there's Times Square. Sometimes they put it on the the, the video board at the game. You know, you see a you know the skyline of New York City. Wait. I feel like I've seen that at least. Wait, once. do they really? I think I've seen it at least <laughs> once. It might have been an ad for the Big Ten Network though, where they do that. Do, let me ask this: and It do, might not have been Rutgers. Do fault. they still have the hot tubs there? So, unfortunately, that was only a one-off mm. experience. Um, I was there for that game, and I did speak to people in the hot tub watching the game. That was when they played Washington on a Friday night of Labor Day weekend, and it was, I forget what they called it. It was like War at the Shore or something. It was like the idea was that you would go hang out at this game, maybe go in the hot tub, and then go to the shore for the rest how, of the weekend. How, how close is Piscataway to the shore? I mean, not too far, like, like 45 minutes. Okay, I have no I have no geographical mind here of what New Jersey well, looks like. Central Jersey exists, first okay. of all. And the the closest beaches are like Point Pleasant, Belmar. They're about like, like from my hometown, I, like, we, we, we don't need the whole, we, we don't need the breakdown of the entire map. I'm trying map. to get, we've, we, we, I'm trying to, you said you didn't know where anything I just, was. I just want to know if Piscataway was close. We, we, we have hit the, the contractually required... Uh, New Jersey conversation that comes in everything that Nicole's a part of, so we have we have accomplished that. So shout out to Greg Shiano who is cleaning it up and recruiting at Rutgers, and I cannot wait for the return of Jersey Shore. We are big fans. That was real. Yes, that that was real, and that's a perfect place to wrap Power Hour because it's it's called Power Hour, so I am allowed to talk about New Jersey <laughs> because my name is part of the show's name. So we will wrap there. 
Thank you for listening to Power Hour. If you are not already an Athletic subscriber, you can sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for 40% off. Andy Staples will be back later this week. Ari Wasserman is around somewhere. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we will see you next Tuesday on Power Hour. Thanks for listening.